0: Welcome back to a Celtic State of Mind. It's Thursday. I'm Paul John Dykes and I'm joined by John Paul Mason and I'm delighted, JP, that it's Thursday because I always enjoy our wee walk through the world of Celtic and anything else that comes to mind as we are doing so. You've also inspired me because every Thursday you're on, you've got a different jersey up behind you and I've decided because we are doing the sell the, the, the jerseys initiative, I'm going to put one of the jerseys up behind me as well. It's always good for a bit of discussion. Um, you were just telling me before we came live there was a bit of scratching on my, my earpieces so if that happens JP's going to give me a shout I'll disappear for a minute and get a new set I hate the technology of letting us down JP how's your week been? I ah,
1: Good I was at the Scotland game on uh, on Tuesday night so mm-hmm. um, it was a, a different experience it's, it's kind of weird when you're used to going to Celtic games and then all of a sudden you're watching <laughs> like an international game of, of that level I mean Scotland's team is is a very, very good team. The England team is frightening uh, when you see the level of quality that they have up close. Um, Also frightening was Gareth Southgate's uh, shoe wear. He had uh, slip-on, shiny brown shoes with red socks.
0: Couldn't he have been more like Tory boy if he tried? (laughs) Um, I I never saw his choice of footwear. JP, I, I, I'm pretty glad I didn't.
1: I just happened to be, I was sitting in the, the south stand, so just sort of next to, we were right next to sort of like the England uh, uh, bench, or well, the, the squad. So you could see all them up coast as well, and they, they love themselves. Uh, like Those guys, like your, your James Madisons and uh, all of that, they're, 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 they fancy their barra, as my dad would say. Um,
0: it's a different world, JP, isn't it? It really mm. is. It's a different world. There is a a celebrity status, but the ego must be absolutely massive. Um talking about you were talking about Tory Boy shoes. I don't own a pair of Tory Boy shoes because my political beliefs wouldn't allow me to own a <laughs> pair of Tory Boy shoes, JP. But just as I came off yesterday, Kev Graham stepped in yesterday uh for a wee switcheroo when it came to the, the contributors. Um there was a message, I think it was from Stevie Boy about uh political leanings. Now, Steve, I'm not sure if it was for myself or for Kevin, I'm always happy to talk about politics and my political leanings in relation to the jersey I had up behind me because it was the Tartan effort and we mm. wore it the night of the referendum. Just so that there's no doubt, um, I do believe in an independent Scotland, uh, a reunified Ireland. That's my political belief. And I think we should abolish the monarchy. There's the three biggies. So, you know, if you think that I'm somewhere inclined to wear Gareth Southgate's shoes, I don't know where you're getting that from. Stevie. Well,
1: it was it was nine years ago today that they had a gig at the Usher Hall. It was called A Night for Independence. And mm-hmm. what a night that was. One of the best atmospheres I've ever experienced. Uh, at a gig. It was like Franz Ferdinand, Mogwai, Frightened Rabbit. Wow. Uh, the others on the bill escaped me from, from my mind right now. But it was just I was kind of in the middle to the to the front of the standing area and looked behind me and it was just Folk going absolutely tonto. I mean, if you, could have po- if you could have bottled that energy in the room that night, um, you'd have had something very powerful, but uh, well, it wasn't to be that time. But I, I, I don't believe that it's far away.
0: In my lifetime, I hope that that's, that's the three things politically. And people might say, oh, well, you're, you know, your views on the, the monarchy isn't a political view. Well, of course this. So anyway, yeah, just in case you're confused with that one, Stevie Boy, that's where I'm standing. And you'll need to ask Kev Graham the next time he's on what his political views are. You might be saying, this is a Celtic podcast, not a political podcast. Listen, football goes hand-in-hand hand with politics. Come on. Uh, we love a bit of politics. You were talking about atmosphere. This jersey behind me, JP, just before we came on, I said to you, what game or, or player, I mean, what does this remind you of? Um, and I'm going to throw Ming in. It reminds me of two games against Kilmarnock, Rugby Park, the first game was the match where we went into the halftime break, 3 nothing down. Neil Lennon has since admitted if he didn't pull something back out of that game, he was gone. We drew three each. I mean, it was a great comeback in the second half. And then the second fixture at Rugby Park in the league uh, couldn't have been much different than that. It was a 6-0 thrashing. And the player that I do remember from both games is Charlotte McGrew. He scored in both games, Big Chas, Um wearing <laughs> this jersey. Oh, not, of course, can I say that? Um, wearing this jersey, which at the time, I was not a fan of. But now I'm looking at it, particularly without the sponsor, and it's grown on me. All these years later, JP, I'm I'm a bit of a fan of this now.
1: I don't I don't know what it fetches on eBay or anything like that. I don't know if it's considered a, a cult top just yet, but I, I like. I've got it long sleeved again, no sponsor, and I got it uh, in the sale the following season. It was on like a sale rack in the Celtic shop, um, which which was. If I ever was kind of doubting a top and I think I did kind of doubt the top during that season it was the, it was only when I saw it in the sale rack the following season I was like, Do you know what I quite i think I think i will I will let yourself grow to like it and i'm 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 glad I've got it anyway and like you say with the with the the green and white badge stitched on instead of the 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 colorway like this matching mm-hmm. the the strip I think it it's a pretty cool top yeah it reminds me of Gary Hooper Chris commons. That's, that's the two players I can see wearing it with it, Gary Hooper with like the black uh, underarm on like yeah. a polo neck type thing
0: um, he, he did know. he did wear that I mean you've you mentioned a couple of guys uh, who played in the Celtic Masters on, mm. on some kind of blue carpet the other week there uh, JP uh, to be fair I thought Celtic had a pretty strong side um, but you know some names when they leave Celtic the relationship that they've got with, with Celtic fans diminish quite quickly, don't they? And that seems to have happened with Commons. Um, Do you think there's any way back for him? Because it was was interesting as a player. I always felt that he was a guy who had no affiliation, no connection to Celtic. He's a Derby County fan, isn't he? And it comes to Celtic and him and his wife absolutely embraced the ethos of the club. Got involved in a lot of initiatives, charitable initiatives. And it's just pretty sad the way it's kind of gone, the Commons, because what a player he was during his time here.
1: It was. I used to have many a running argument with uh with Craig who sits behind me or sat behind me um and he used to did not like enjoy commons at all as a football player. Uh his line was all he does is score <laughs> and I was just like, Well, yeah, kinda Kind of happy that we've got a guy in our team that that, that scores all the time because he yeah.
0: did score a lot. Bad the goal. Habit. it's not bad habits at all, is
1: it? I know, but I mean, I think he was just obviously questioning his work rate and all the rest of it. But I think there wasn't there wasn't a, a, a way back for Commons for a lot of Celtic fans. It would seem after his eh, spat with Ronnie Dyler and John Collins, and who was that away to? It was away Mold.
0: It was Mold. mold. Yeah, they it, called him yeah. Mold. Or did you just yeah. add a wee moulder just to so the dinner seem a bit moldy? Um, uh, I would say mould That was poor. He remember he apologized following mm. that. It was in a public apology. Um one of only um double check my stats, one of only five players, I believe, in the last 20 years who have scored 32 or more goals in a season for Celtic, Chris Commons. What's your thoughts on Commons? What's your thoughts on that jersey? What's your memories? What players come to mind? What games come to mind? Has it aged well as JP? mentioned or not and of course JP you've got a Scotland one over your shoulder you were at the game this week against England what was your experience?
1: Uh, yeah it was It was really it was just a really nice night for a game of football it, it feels like it may be the last nice night that we get I mean it was absolutely brutal last night in Glasgow with rain um, pouring oh, down and it was like someone had just flicked a switch and went right that is definitely summer over here, here's the real Scottish weather, and, and that was it. So, But it was a nice night on Tuesday for a game of football, and um, like I said, quite frightening to see a team of their quality up close. I mean, they, they didn't even play that well, um, but they, they, they took us apart at times. And when Scotland got the goal back, there was definite belief in the stadium, and you looked over at the England support, and they were static and silent and maybe feared that there was a potential of a comeback but the the third goal the third goal killed it but the Harry Maguire stuff was I mean a guy that was £80 million and was getting ridiculed by the Scotland support for the whole every time he touched the ball it was just kind of people doing the whoa is he going to like he obviously scored their own goal which which put the tin hat in it for him but I mean, it's just so wild to see. I mean, I know Gareth Southgate came out afterwards and said that he didn't have a problem with the Scotland fans doing that. He was just like, they're just having a bit of fun. But it's like the environment that's been created for Harry Maguire in England has given way to opposition support doing things like that. I mean, his career, I don't know where he's going to go from here, but I think he maybe needs to go abroad or something like that and just get his confidence back, re-establish himself because... I mean, it, it, it was it's so, so surreal to think of a guy that cost that amount of money and is probably earning that much money a week. But he was an absolute panto. Eh, I was going to say villain. He wasn't really a villain. <laughs> He's He's a of, He's a he, was, he was a joker. He's a
0: panto joker. He's the joker. See, was, the thing, JP, it's horrible to get abuse right. It is. It's, it's horrible. Online. In person, it doesn't really happen in person, does it? But you imagine a footballer, you were talking there about you know the ego and the, the kind of superstar status of footballers. That kind of stuff must still get to them the eh? way. Oh, 100%. I mean,
1: there's, there's the thick end of 48,000 people all going mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't feel like I could join in just because of where we were sat. We were sat like right next to his teammates. It would have felt a bit weird. Kind of felt like we were in the, Kind of neutral zone because there was some folk with England colours on, and there was definitely like three English guys next to me who who did their best to to stay in their on their seat when England scored. Um. So yeah, I I think I think, it, I think it, no doubt will have affected them, and I just just don't know where he goes from here. I mean, it was at Manchester yeah. United, I just don't know where that. I mean, he could have moved in the summer apparently, but, but we couldn't agree money. So uh it's, it's, it's a long road back for him, I think.
0: It definitely is. And uh, we're now, we're at a point now where the international break is over. We're on the Thursday before our first domestic game back against Dundee. And then we're looking ahead to Feyenoord and the Champions League. I was on a Feyenoord podcast yesterday. Oh, yeah. um, it's going to air today. And they were, the first thing they said is, uh, everybody's calling it Feyenoord. is Feyenoord. I said, no problem. I think we call it Feyenoord anyway. and um, and they were talking to us, JP, about um, how Celtic fans are viewing the game in relation to the kind of rivalry side of it. Mm-hmm. And I said, and listen, I'm just talking for me. I don't know how others feel. Please let us know in your comments if you agree or disagree with us. And I said, when we're looking at that, that group, there's a few elements to this. Firstly, the other two teams are absolutely, no doubt about it, not loved by Celtic or Celtic fans for various reasons. Lazio, you'll remember. I mean, we just, again, going back to politics, we opened the show with politics. Why don't we like Lazio? Politics. They do not, you couldn't get further away from our state of political thinking, right? And I think that that became clear following some of the banners uh, that we flew against them the last time, round, 2019, where we beat them home and away and uh, Mussolini's granddaughter didn't take too kindly to one of them in particular. And that's fine because you're annoying the right people there. Then you've got hmm. Atletico Madrid. Atletico Madrid. You go back to seventy four uh, European Cup semi final. JP, the last time we got to that stage of the tournament. And every opportunity I get, I throw this one out there. Between sixty four and seventy six in the twelve campaigns between that period, Celtic got to at least the quarter final of a European tournament on nine occasions. That's astonishing. Some That's people wild. just think. Flashing a pan, you won in Lisbon, no, no, no. Celtic were teetering on being a European superpower at that stage. And that kind of ended, um, I think, in earnest in 74 with the semi final against Atletico Madrid. For anyone who doesn't know, I can't remember it before my time, but it was nothing each at Celtic Park. They had three sent off, seven booked. There was a fight in the tunnel on the way up after the game, and every Celtic player I've spoken to who was in that tunnel say whatever happened in that tunnel stays in the tunnel, apparently. Strathclyde police got involved and they were on Celtic's side, clobbering the Atletico Madrid players over in Spain. Jockstein and Jimmy Johnson received death threats before the game. Celtic went out and got beat 2-0. So we've got no real love for Atletico Madrid. And then, of course, the game in the mid-80s, 1985, we played against them behind closed doors, JP, due to the Rapid Vienna fiasco the season before. So there's no really great memories. So what I was saying to the final guys is, listen, you might have beat us in the European Cup final, but... There's no real hate from Celtic fans. And I had spoken to Ellen Manning, who was on the podcast yesterday, as I say, it will be out there some point today. And she, she filled me in in relation to the kind of state of mind, defying nerd fans. And the fact that they are definitely the anti-establishment club. And their rival is Ajax and their rival is Rangers. So there's an alignment there in the way that the fans are the kind of working class fans, if you like, over there. So I said to them, I said, you know, I we want revenge for you beating us in the European Cup final. Of course we do. But there's definitely no hate. There's more of a friendship there. Would you agree with that?
1: Well, I mean, I've not got... To, apart from the fact that I bought a Feyenoord strip when I was a wee guy because of Henrik Larsson, I don't really have any massive uh, love of Feyenoord other than when they beat Rangers and Van Hooydonk scored the free kicks. And he took um, his top
0: off and all that, remember, eh?
1: I, I mean, that, that's a fond memory for obvious reasons. Um, But... I think it's just because they're not Ajax and I definitely don't have any love for, for Ajax. I kind of wish I did because, I mean, Ajax, with, you know, the fans aside, is quite a cool club and I, I really like that jersey. They released the Bob Marley jersey. That was cool. I, if it was any other club, I would have probably bought that. But, um, no, nah, Feyenoord is not some team that I've ever taken aim at. <laughs> that might change after Tuesday. I don't know, but... Um, it's interesting, was anything discussed about the the fan pattern between Feyenoord and Ajax and how they don't allow any fans from... And it's been like that for a few years. Did, did you know that, that they don't allow... that? You, when Feyenoord go away to Ajax, there's no Feyenoord fans and vice versa?
0: I did not. I did not know that. I might have yeah, discussed it. Was, I've, had I had an on that JP, just to talk about the impact of it, well, you know, the impact of the fixture.
1: Well, I mean, it, it's due to something, from my knowledge anyway, a lot more serious than just... Uh, Getting fed up of seeing the other team win, or concocting some reason to get more money from from your own fans, but they used to arrange fights in like a like a bit of ground. Like I know this happens quite a lot in Germany and stuff like that. Like football football fans meet up in like the Black Forest with masks on and wear hell out of each other just for a laugh, <laughs> kind like, of fight um, club still? Aye, like that might... That, people might be listening to this and be like, what are you talking about? There's no way that happens. It does happen. It's, they, they film it and put it on YouTube. So you look up German football fans fighting in a forest on YouTube, you will see footage of them meeting up to fight. And it's supposed to be a case of like no weapons, just fists. And just it's, a good
0: old fist fight.
1: Just like, <laughs> I, like yeah, a proper like you used to hear of the old... If you, if well, I, I grew up in Bathgate, so you'd hear like tales of like eh, the Bathgate headhunters and the bushwhackers, There were supposed to be like these gangs that would meet up and fight up in like B Craigs and stuff like that. <laughs> it was sounded completely surreal, but maybe that happened, maybe it didn't. But unfortunately, when they did have one of these arranged fights between Fire and the and Ajax, somebody took it too far and did bring weapons, and somebody did die, and then. From that moment, this is based on an article I read. By the way, from that moment, they basically went right no away fans at either either ground. I don't know if it's been changed since then, but that's certainly what what I remember reading. So, um, it's interesting that there is a that derby that exists where yeah. fans aren't allowed, and but for for that you know definitely different reasons.
0: Absolutely, and. I have invited them back on the Axon, which would be the right thing to do for the, the home leg at Celtic Park, of course. Mm. They're going to come over for the game, and I'll definitely ask them about that. But we didn't have as uh, you know funky names as the headhunters or, or the bushwhackers uh, where I come from in Fife. It was basically the YVB, which was the Young Valley Boys, and the YOB, which is the Young Oakley Boys. If you went to the Dunfermline, it was the Abbey Toy, which was an Abbey View something. Um Aye, but that was the gangs in fife. Whether or not you're a member of that that kind of fraternity, let us know in the comment section. Jungle lion, get Haxer to replace Abada. We're going to have to talk about Abada. Yet another name on the injury list, Hax Farewell, he's away. Stoker spoke about that during the week as well. Jamie Young, we have gutted for Abada. Let's see what Lewis Palmer and um to shine. Yeah, I think it does open up an opportunity for somebody else, very much like the tagline. If, if Nat Phillips starts, I guess the first question is, should he start? Which of the Ibrox pairing drops out? Well, you look at both of them and I don't think um, Gustav, Wagerbielk or Liam Scales were first choices, JP. It comes down to, there's an injury or a pair of injuries, um, go and make the jersey your own. And I think that uh, Abad is dropping out. The big question that we'll be asking today is who should replace him? Has Yang done enough to step in? Probably will Rocco Vata get an opportunity. He's doing really well wherever he gets an opportunity uh, at an international level. And of course, I think he's done well in the first team as well. So we'll be talking about all of that. Double denim. I'm not sure i drop either Scales or Lagerbielk at this point. For me, it's their jersey to lose. But I would have Phillips on the bench and would introduce him if needed. What's your take on it, JP? Um, yesterday... Kevin Graham said something about Scales' performance that I didn't disagree with. It might be deemed a wee bit kind of like negative, dare I say, uh, or pessimistic, maybe would be a better word, in that the performance of Scales' Ibrox might be looked back on as a one-off. And Phillips, long term, on the back of that comment, therefore would be more of a first choice in Scales. I don't want to write him off. I think you know the trajectory or the arc of Liam Scales' Celtic career has been really impressive. But I go back to the St. Johnston game the week before, JP, where the two mistakes that led to Joe Hart's two saves came from Liam Scales being basically rinsed by a 19- and a 20-year-old um, St. Johnston player. So I get what Kev says. What, what's your take on it? Do you change up the centre-half partnership?
1: It's a tough one because obviously you've got to be thinking about your next move, which is Tuesday night. And do, do, do you introduce Phillips with Lagerbielk as a as a as a test to see how they get on together, or do you keep the same pairing? Oh, I get what um, Double Denim's saying there about you don't obviously to be fair to the two players that played at box, you'd want to. Give them the next the next game because ultimately they kept they kept a clean sheet and they and they were part of a winning side at our most toughest venue that we'll go to arguably this season. So it would be a bit harsh if they were but if one of them was jettisoned. Um, but you you know that Cameron Carter-Vickers when he comes back is going to grab one of those jerseys. So it's really up to the others to fight over who's going to get the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know much about that, Phillips. I, I would suggest maybe I would start with scales and Lagerbielka, and then maybe introduce Phillips for the last half an hour or something like that to see who. If you're if you're intending to play Phillips with Lagerbielka, then you take off scales and play Phillips for like the last half an hour. But I think maybe it would be an idea just to start them. It's, it's an interesting. I don't, how long's a badder? Rumor to be out for. I mean, this is Right, safe.
0: well, I heard something this morning. It was pretty uh, worrying, but until the gaffer confirms it, J- JP, I wouldn't like to believe that it's going to be five months, but that's what was reported this morning. Wow. Which is horrific. Um, but as I say, yeah. in terms of a source, I would much rather wait. Apparently, it was a, an Israeli source. I don't know if anything's been lost in translation. I'd be hoping it's five weeks um, mm-hmm. at the very worst. No five months, but I'm pretty sure Brennan Rogers will be asked that question at tomorrow's press conference, and we can maybe take it from there. But we'll be talking about that um, situation on the wing. We'll be talking about the centre-half position. What is your thoughts on that? I'm pretty sure we're going to get a few different takes on it. Jungle line, harsh on scales to be dropped. I think after that performance at Ibrox, it would feel harsh on scales, 100% mm-hmm. it would. But I think there is a dilemma in that Brennan Rogers is looking ahead to Feyenoord. He's looking at Rotterdam. That's going to be a, a hugely difficult game. I mean, that's going to be massive. People are going on mm. about, you know, that's the best team we could have got out of Pot One. I get it all. But they are a top class side, and it's in final. it's in Rotterdam. Are you confident? I guess, picture the scene. We go out on Tuesday night, and scales are starting. Are you confident with that? And I think back to St Johnson, yeah, you've got Ibrox, but the other side of the coin is St Johnson. He was showing up quite a few, t- well, at least twice. Um, against a really poor side in St Johnston at home where you're meant to be at your strongest um, so that worries me a bit Phillips came in I think if he was a wee bit sharper dare I say he would have started at Ibrox listen you can say that I know that it worked out for the best but I think he would have started
1: On the flip side of that though you've got to add in the fact that now, there would have been an element of nerves in that game against St Johnston for scales because was that his first start in a long time? Am I, am I wrong in thinking that? I don't That think was his
0: first start, yeah, because Nowroski uh, played against Kelly, didn't yeah. he? It was so, after the game that he was injured.
1: So I think a little bit of slack needs to be given to him on that front. Who knows what the win and that performance at Ibrox has done for his confidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A, a 90 minutes like that, in that environment, could be... I could add 20-30% to his game and I mean no disrespect but he probably needs that added to his game because he's not been good enough to be a starter for Celtic in the in the two years that he's been here he's gone away and, and done pretty well at Aberdeen by all accounts didn't see him every week there but I've got a good friend who's an Aberdeen fan who does watch them all the time and did say that, that William Scales was, was really good for Aberdeen particularly in the second half of last season so and then people will be like, "Oh well, it's all very well doing well for Aberdeen, but I mean, it's the same league, <laughs> you know. I mean, the, the, the majority of our games are going to be in this league. So if we can do the business for one team in this league, then you'd think he you can do the business for us. It is about that step up, and the step up to the Champions League is is massive. So there, there obviously there would be concerns um, for him, and you, you, you don't, you wouldn't want him to be." absolutely um embarrassed or anything like that by uh, by the quality that they'll have up front because it's just this it's not really fair to to then judge him on that because nobody's nobody expected when we brought Liam skills in really that he would be starting in the champions league for us I, I, I don't think anybody could have thought when we were signing a guy from from the league of ireland that he would you know I mean that that's absolute fairy tale stuff um, for him so I guess we'll just have to <laughs> wait and see, it's, it's, it's weird having all these question marks but it's always the same it's always the same isn't it, we never ever have a settled side going into these games, if it's the quali- if it's not the qualifiers, it's the actual Champions League itself, last season you go back we didn't have Starfeld, we didn't have Carter Vickers for periods of, well for all of the Champions League pretty much, and you're having to throw in a guy like Stephen Stephen Welsh or Morris Jens,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. it was the same thing.
0: You know, I've said this a few times. When we have a great side, you know, there's a sweet spot where you know that it's your strongest. I love and JP, they're all firing. That sweet spot never happens when we're playing these European games. There's always a question mark. There's always a position. There's always a loss of form. Someone's out injured. We're bringing in signings too late. There's always something going into these games. That is a concern. You never go in flying like the best version of Celtic under mm. Brendan Rodgers, the best version under Ange. And again, second time around with Brendan Rodgers. So, yeah, that is a concern. I'll be very interested to hear James French's views tomorrow. Uh, James stood up for Liam Scales a couple of weeks back when he was on the show and he will be appearing tomorrow. I'll ask him the exact same question as well. Now, at Celtic follower on the YouTube Maybe a blow losing a batter because of his goal contribution, but we definitely aren't short of wingers. Forrest, Johnson, Palmer, Yang, Tilio all need to step up and grab the chance. I'm going to throw Rocco Vata into that mix as well. I'm not suggesting for a moment that he is second choice at Celtic, but if somebody else steps up, it brings Vata up a wee notch and maybe he'll get some game time. Kevin Mullen. Afternoon Axon buzzing for Champions League but we need a big uh, player's fit and with a batter's injury, just another blow. Let's hope Palma hits the ground running. Um, Yang, for me, uh, so far JP, has always looked pretty impressive when he's came in. Uh, there was the one game, I think, against Kelly where he kept slitting, at probably down to the surface. But other than that, I think he's got real intent about him. When he gets the boy, he wants to make something happen. He's not scared to take on a player. How many players do we have that does that now? Because, I mean, is not a guy that weaves past players. He uses his speed, his awareness, his anticipation to get into pockets of space. Maeda's all about the running, the work rate, the stamina. It's not about taking on players. We miss that now that Jota's out the building. The one guy so far that I think brings that to the table is Yang. So if a bad is indeed out, is Yang the guy that you call upon? Do you bring him in?
1: surely, yeah. I'd like to see more of them. I've not seen nearly enough of them in the I mean, God, I've not been at a Celtic game since Kilmarnock away, which feels like absolutely ages ago. When you've missed Celtic for the whole summer and, and whatnot and since the Scottish Cup final, and then and then you get a bit back and then I mean that I can't even remember when the Kilmarnock game was, but it feels a bit four weeks ago now it's a long time a long time in football when games have been happening but you're just being kind of forced to to watch on the on the TV um, or not at all in the case of the St Johnson game but um, I think Yang obviously recently given a full cap um, for his country so he'll have that as a confidence boost as well he seems to have the faith of the manager the manager obviously thinks that he can Trust him in games because he started them already in games. So I would suggest that he'll likely start. Yeah.
0: Mm. There's loads of comments coming in. This is what it's all about. So we're, we're going to have to bring it up because obviously there's been a Champions League squad announced as well. JPL, we're talking about what that means for the futures of some of the players. Uh probably a couple that you were surprised that maybe a couple of you were surprised are in. You and Boy Martin joins the chat. It's a no-brainer. Nat Phillips and Lagerbiel will start on Saturday, and be our pairing for the first few championships. Give, Champions him, the Give yep. him the job. Give him the job. Once CCV is back, he will play with Phillips. Um, t- to be fair, I think there's there's a a ruthlessness about some gaffers JP who, you know that bit that's, that 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 sways you towards scales, right? Right. Let, let's say Nat Phillips said yesterday he's fit and ready to go. That's what he said. There was a press conference. Axel meant to be up at the fan media one. We had a few other bits in the diary. We didn't. We, we weren't able to make it. But I watched the press conference this morning. That Phillips is fit and raring to go, right? Now, there's a ruthlessness in the top, top managers who will look at the situation, I feel, right? And they won't allow the Scales game against Ibrox to even change their thinking. So if they brought in Phillips to be the first choice for the Champions League, Phillips will play on Saturday. To get embedded into that partnership with Will They won't even think about the fact that Scales was the man of the match against Rangers. By the way, I, I think O'Reilly might have been in with a shout, but anyway, Scales was the man of the match against Rangers. His confidence will be at his highest since he came to the club. And they might not even think about the fact that this is going to affect Scales a bit here if I drop him. Because it is, it's a drop You're dropping him for Nat Phillips. Um, so I, I do take what you and Boy Martin is saying, but there's many, many managers won't have that ruthlessness. They'll play skills because it's his jersey to lose. What type mm-hmm. of manager do you think is?
1: Well, I mean, we like to think that we know him well given uh, his previous stint. And obviously, the little we've seen of him so far, he's, as we've all sort of said, he's been a bit cautious and cagey with his approach to to the media, possibly to the players as well. He's maybe not been full Brendan when he's been behind the scenes oh, at the Gucci training be- um. Gucci belts and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing, isn't it? And <laughs> I'm slagging Gareth Southgate for his shoes. I-, I hope I never see Brendan Rodgers with brown slip-on shoes.
0: Um, what well, colour uh, was his socks? Were red. the Union Jack socks? No, they were just red socks. It just... Oh. It's like the guy that runs Witherspoons. I think he would wear that kind of combo, wouldn't he?
1: Oh, I'll tell you another guy that would do that. Paul Baxendale Walker. There's a name for you. Um, I don't even know who he is, but with that name, I agree. Yeah, he would do well, it. Well, he, he could be considered a hero in these parts because he's the guy that introduced EBT's to...
0: Oh, he's the, the porn king. That.
1: <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> aye, he, he, that's definitely his attire, I'm, I'm sure of it, but... Um, no, I think I think Brendan Rodgers is. Uh, I mean, he, he has been a ruthless manager in in the mm-hmm. past. Um, it's all about whether or not he would feel comfortable in the environment that he's in to do something like that, and how the how the rest of the players would would react to it if they would if they would think, oh well, if I play a good game, then I I, I could lose my jersey. I could still lose my jersey. Do you know? I, yeah yeah I don't know, I'd be I'd be very, it's it's a very very intriguing prospect the the team sheet coming out on Saturday. um they they always usually are but this is one where you're really like there's a few question marks does does he rest anybody ahead of Tuesday does he bring in somebody different does he play a full, full strength team uh, to start like is it going to be a hatati McGregor o'Reilly midfield Against Dundee at home, no disrespect to them, but like, do you need that to? People will be like, no, they they don't need rest. It's it's September; Mm -hmm. we should be playing our strongest side. You know, in both games, Uh, it isn't. It's an intriguing one.
0: It is because that's another. That is another selection debate. I guess is around the third midfielder. We'll we'll be talking about the team from top to bottom. Um, does it make Brendan Rodgers ruthless JP final question on, on the matter does it make Brendan Rodgers ruthless if he drops skills? I think so yeah
1: Yeah. I, 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 I'd, I'd agree, agree with, with that I'd
0: agree with I that do because
1: you're dealing with a guy who hasn't had the opportunities at Celtic and then he gets given an opportunity he, he repays the manager's faith I mean let's face it he didn't really have a lot of choice in who he was going to play in central defence in that game but I think as you alluded to yesterday, guys like Burnaby maybe doesn't give him the faith that mm-hmm. he can do a job and Liam Skills has gone out there and done a job. But whether whether people Celtic supporters or not like it or not, Liam Skills performed in that game and I'm glad that he was there to do so. I'm glad that he was integrated enough in the in the squad and in the side to be able to feel comfortable being there and not feel like an imposter because there's there's every every chance that there could have been a, a scenario where Liam Scales comes into that team and feels like he doesn't belong there. But because there was an environment there created that he did feel like he belonged there, he was able to play the way he did and mm-hmm. have the confidence in his own ability to make last-ditch tackles which were necessary and, and, and defend sometimes with his back to the wall. And, and it was great to see. It was really great to see.
0: It was. And, and what's also great to see, JP, is the comments coming in because they do often throw in uh, other discussion points as Michael the Boy has done. Right, Taylor for me drops out for skills at left back. So he's saying, Michael the Boy is saying, that you don't drop skills, you just move them. You move them to left back. Um, that's the area of the park that Alan Morrison last week said is our weakest particularly when Hitati plays, because if Hitati's on the left-hand side, the defensive work, the mm-hmm. chasing back, that kind of side, the game isn't his forte. And then behind him, you had Taylor and, until recently, Staffel. And Alan Morrison reckoned that was the weak part of the team. Mm-hmm. So does skills go to the left-back? I mean, I think it's a fair point. I mean, if you're playing on-form players and you want to bring in Phillips because you bought him for the Champions League games due to injuries, maybe that's another solution. Do you think that's a wee bit too radical? Um,
1: I wouldn't say it's radical, but it's definitely. It would be hard to see him dropping Taylor from 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 a side that won at Ibrox. I just don't mm. think. I think you've got to look at the result and the and the fact that that team won one 0 It wasn't a case of well we flicked it or anything like that. It was a team performance that got that result. Um. And whether Greg Taylor was a nine or ten out of ten, I don't think he was. Do I think he was a five out of ten? No. <laughs> I mean, I'd be interested to see what what people if people were going to rate Greg Taylor on on that game. Like realistically, what 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 was he? Because you're not winning at Ibrox one 0 if you if you're carrying players that are getting fives out of ten. I, I just don't think that's possible. I think no. It's, it's, it's the same way as people criticising Turnbull and saying, "Oh, well, Turnbull didn't contribute anything." Again, I would, I would I'd ask, "Was Turnbull a five out of ten against Rangers? How can you be a five out of ten in a in a team that wins one 0 at
0: Ibrox? You're yeah, right. At a game
1: that, where, where we were told there was no chance we were going to win.
0: I'd say that the the, the worst you could possibly re- regard any of the performances would be a six. And by the way, I know that this scale's difficult. It's a, it's a difficult balance, right? It's if you're rating anything. If you're rating a movie. What, what makes a, a movie a seven over a six? It's, it's a, a difficult one. And I remember the computer mags back in the day done it as a percentage, didn't they? And they'd mm-hmm. say, right, your percentage is this based on your passing, your, your heading ability, losing duels, this, that, and the other. And they would actually have a formula for it. Whereas we're plucking it out of the sky. If somebody's had a bit of a bad game, you'd say maybe five and below. Um, your kind of mediocre game where they've no really done anything that, that you remember as being game-changing moments, but they haven't been skinned, they haven't let us down, you're probably six and then you start going up the scale seven's a good game, eight very good nine sensational, ten the greatest of all time kind of thing but I, I would say that none of them were that bad, none of them would have teetered below that kind of average done their job, part of a unit and Taylor and, and, and Turnbull would probably be the, at the lower end of that scale, JP, but I don't think they had bad games.
1: No, definitely not. And uh, I, I, I would be very, very surprised if uh, scales played at the expense of Greg Taylor on Saturday. I just think that would be... Because <laughs> then you're going to play that against Feynard? <laughs> I know. You, you've, got, you've got to keep some sort of consistency between the two sides and you don't want to start thinking with defence that you know, like it or not, they've kept two clean sheets in the last two games, um, St Johnston at home and then and then Rangers. So, um I I, I, would, I don't think that will happen.
0: I also would say in defence of Greg Taylor is that he's been part of a team that won five domestic trophies out of six under to Cogley. I think the biggest change to Greg Taylor's performance has been the way that we've utilised our fullbacks. But then, on the back of that, I would say that against St. Johnston and Rangers, now it may have happened before that, but I noticed that mainly against St. Johnston and Rangers, we seemed to go back to having the full-backs inverting. They were spending a lot more time in that kind of midfield area, JP, so that we could overload the midfield. Because in the past, if we get beat against Rangers, it's normally because they've won the midfield battle. So we had those extra bodies in there. And um, I think that that will result in in an improvement in form of Greg Taylor there's people in the comments who'll probably say he's no Celtic class or he's no European class GP right I know that there is a feeling that that's the case but I just think that we've changed it against St Johnston we've brought the the backs more into an inverted position it's only two games in why change it again why change the personnel when it's not forced through injury so mm. I agree with you I think I think Taylor starts he starts on Saturday he starts on Tuesday barring injury because I tell you what it definitely is an injury crisis. Martin Devine, good afternoon, Axon, hail, hail. Need to give some game time to Phillips and Scales has to make way. Simple. That's bold. Some might say ruthless, but we'll see once that team list comes out. Marquis e, Palmer scored and got an assist credit during the week uh, on international duty. He did. He's a player that I've not, obviously like the rest of you, not seen a great deal of him other than in the, um, you know, the realms of showreels, etc. Uh, so I think, Based on that, I think Yang's done enough to get the jersey at the moment. And then, obviously, Palmer will be looking to come off the bench. Marquis, you forget about Tilio; He's back in training as well. I don't know when he's going to be ready. Yang looked great for South Korea. Right. Um, as well as Yang performing well for South Korea, you've got a player um, who's almost forgotten about. He's a, he's you know he's going to be the Idiguchi of this season in Kwon. He was playing for the South Korean under-23 side. apparently played pretty well. He's out of the Champions League squad, JP. Now, I think that's pivotal because, and I asked the question um, in relation to the the transfers this week, based on the fact that you're looking at Champions League squad, so you can look at the transfer window through a different prism, I guess. Are we strong enough for the Champions League? Um, Sometimes results in the question, were we good enough in the recruitment this this pre-season? And I think overall, I would say that there was areas that we weren't good enough in, in terms of bringing players in. I don't think we should be looking to make a profit in a transfer window. I think we need to go into the Champions League with the strongest possible squad. And I look at that squad and there's areas that I'm not too happy with. Kwon's left out. Now, going into this Dundee game, after doing well for South Korea under 23, having not made his competitive debut at home against Dundee, normally would be a brilliant opportunity to give this guy some game time. <coughs> right. It's not going to happen with the Champions League just coming up on Tuesday, though, eh? So being left out of the squad is massive to the player's season, isn't it?
1: Oh, definitely, yeah. Definitely. And I was quite... uh, I was quite upset to see that Navrotsky was left out as well because it just shows you he's obviously really far away, which leaves us, again, short in the central defence position. You just don't want any injuries there now um, going forward because... It was bad enough uh, last week going into that game at Ibrox with uh, a 23-year-old that we've just signed from Sweden and Liam Scales, who hasn't ever played in a game of that size and hasn't really played a lot for Celtic in recent in recent times either. I mean, he's not really played a lot for Celtic full stop. I think he's definitely been tarred with a bit of... Um, of the, the Bodo-glimped-away brush, yeah. where, it, you know, the, that team that night didn't play well as a whole, and but Liam Scales seems to have been judged by quite a lot of people in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just don't want any, any further injuries, and when you get that Champions League squad out, it does make you go through it, go through the squad, squad with a little bit more of uh, scrutiny, because... It's that's the people that you're hanging your hat on to do well for you at the top level, and as you said yesterday, you and Kev were talking about recruitment last season wasn't good enough, yeah. really, and that's knocked on to this season, and that's when you see the effect of the recruitment last season into the Champions League squad this season, and it's like, well, had we been better at recruitment last season, then our squad. Champions League squad would, would look a bit healthier in the present. Totally, um, and that, and that 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 is definitely something that uh, got me thinking yesterday when I was when I was uh, thinking about that last season and, and who came in and it, it's it's unfortunate because as you said you want your players to all be a Jota, be a Carter, Vickers, be a Maeda, you know, be guys that just come in and. Make themselves almost undroppable with their mm-hmm. performances. We shouldn't be signing guys that are almost a complete antithesis of that. Where there's guys that do everything in their powers, it would seem to not nail down a jersey. Guys like Abel Gard, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's there's a there's a good few. No, you're sorry,
0: right. Bernard, Bernabeu- I would say is in that category. Mm-hmm. JP, it was it was just through the discussion that. That, that came to light it's almost like a staggered approach so you're going into the Champions League um, you look at that that squad that we've got you ask yourself get the questions where's the three or four big sign-ins who have done well for us that we signed last season they're not there and and when I asked Ev Graham that you know he was saying well Alistair Johnson and then you think well O has done okay and you, you're kind of thinking he will progress so I'm not writing him off absolutely not but we're talking about positions we're unhappy with and you think well Left back. Well, this pre-season has been a nightmare for centre halves. Centre forward would be good to have a, a bit of back in there, and goals. And then you think back to that recruitment last season. You think, well, we brought in a left back. The fact that he's not worked out, we're suffering now. We brought in a centre half in Kobayashi. The fact that he never worked out meant that when we had a spate of injuries. We ended up buying three centre halves. You know, and then the forwards again. I just think we're an injury away from having an issue up top. Uh, we we brought in we brought in Owen as I say I'm not writing him off the goalkeeper situation we're running with Bain as our choice our second choice goalie we brought in a goalie he wasn't up to scratch so the recruitment last season I think went under the radar because we won the treble it went under the radar because um, Antipo Stokoglu and the recruitment team had done such an amazing job in season one that it almost like bled into season two but when you then start looking at the individual players you start thinking well were they a flop? Quite a quite a few of them were JP.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I know. And the curious case of Ben Segris, like w- what is going on with him? Like why is he one not included in the Champions League squad? There's not been any chat of an injury, or has there been? I don't know. Do you know anything about an injury for him? Or?
0: Not at this moment in time. And um, obviously we know what happened last season. He was fit to play in January. Uh, after his injury situation, but then there was personal issues. You go into that pre-season there, you're hearing that he wants to leave. It doesn't happen. Um, He's the third-choice goalkeeper. And I I just don't think the second choice is up to scratch. We'll see what's happened to Abada, Totally unexpected. uh, Muscle injury. It must be a muscle tear for it to take four or five months, but we'll find out more. Um, If that happens to Joe Hart, JP, we're going into a European game, big European games. And if it happens during the campaign, we could be going into these games needing a point, needing a win. And then you're looking at the lineup and you're thinking, well, that's due to the fact that we've not done our recruitment. We've mm. not done it, not just this pre-season. Last season when we brought in a goalie, we didn't bring in the right goalie or a, or a goalkeeper that was up to scratch. Now, Jerry Taylor, Axom's very own afternoon team. A bad news is sad, but the silver lining... Jean, Tilio and Palma, three players. I'm genuinely excited by Paolo Bernardo as well. I know a different position. Looking forward to seeing him roll on this weekend. Yes, Celtic are back. Tony McCann, double denim. I'm sorry Abada is injured, but the balance with Maeda and Abada is a bad fit, reckons Tony. Especially against deep-lying defences would probably be good. In Europe, though, yeah, we're basically just going to have to deal with the cards that were being dealt when it goes uh, into the injury situation. Now, the reason I'm bringing up this, Cathal Quinn, is because when I hear the word Salamanca, um, I think of one thing. And I think of breaking bad. That's what I think of, JP. I don't know about you. But when I see that word, that's exactly... And, of course, I think of two things, because I think you better call Saul. Um, Stuart, Ramsey, afternoon and all my fellow Tims, hail, hail. Sad news a about of badger, uh, gutted for the boy. Also, really sad news... J.P. about Stuart Gray. Um, I was reading about it yesterday. Uh, His fight against cancer, absolutely horrific. 49 years of age. Um, He has shared on his socials a link to a GoFundMe page because there is treatment available that could help him. Um, He has been given uh, a diagnosis. He's been given, you know, it's a very aggressive cancer and, you know, it can, you know, be 8 to 18 months life expectancy. He's a 49-year-old guy, fit as a fiddle, five kids, and he's been hit by that, JP. And it's just horrendous. I remember him well from being a
1: wee guy. That was a, a formative time for me being a Celtic fan. and uh, I've got a scrapbook with Stuart Gray cut out of the, the, the papers and Celtic views and everything else. So yeah, it's really, really sad to hear that. But he, he's... Um, Ed, is he Eddie Grace? son?
0: Eddie Grace's son, yeah. yeah. Yep. He played so, for Leeds. Mm-hmm. Frank Gray will be his, his uncle. The, the Gray brothers came from Castle Milk, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone in the comment section who knows best, let, let me know. But yeah, it's it's obviously one of the families, JP, with the, the football ones in the, in the bloodline because there's there's another Gray at um, Leeds United. I don't know if it's Stuart's son or, or mm-hmm. nephew, but obviously there's generations of footballers and uh, sure, I always remember the 5 0 game where Cadetti scored, it was his debut, and he and, and, and you know, he scored that blew, yeah, and it blew the radio waves off off air. And sure, Gray was playing that night, but he'd grown his hair and his hair went curly. And it, there was like two George Cadets on the pitch. Can you remember that? Um, oh, so, yeah, that
1: was, that was live on the telly as well. And I don't was know what
0: it, cha- just terrestrial, it was on, I think
1: it was on terrestrial TV, but I remember. Then you're doing a backflip over the couch when Cadetti scored. Um.
0: <laughs> that was just the whole feeling about it. You know, we were buzzing at that stage and Tommy Burns had kind of tapped into this almost like this grotto of superstars from, you know, far from places. We, ha- we hadn't really approached recruitment like that before. I know we had had some overseas players. We had Rudy Vata. Uh, prior to him, we had the Jack and Oski and Jack. We had uh, Johannes and Valtin, but there weren't many in terms of overseas players. All of a sudden, through this brilliant recruitment, scouting kind of network that Tommy was building up, as influenced and inspired by Ajax, I mean, he would go over to Ajax and, and, and see how they did things, how they recruited, how they developed footballers. Um, he started pulling players like Pierre van from NAC Breda and Andreas Tom and George Cadet and Canio um, and it went on and on, and that opened the, the floodgates, really, JP, for the way that we do recruitment now. We didn't have those markets prior to Tommy Burns being uh, the manager at Celtic.
1: And imagine being like guys like Stuart Gray getting to play with these guys, you know, like these guys coming in from Italy and and uh, Holland and things like that. And you're you're just a, a Scottish player that's played for Celtic through the youth teams, and then. Having never seen that kind of thing before, and then you're suddenly training with these guys, and the levels and training goes up, you know, several notches, no doubt, um, from what it was at. Um, I not remember it as a fan well, so yeah, I, I definitely wish Stuart all the best in his in his battle with that. That's horrendous.
0: I know it's terrible, and we've shared it on the socials. If you want to get involved in donating to Stuart's fight. Uh, this morning I looked at it; it was a quarter of the way there already to, to raising a hundred grand. Because I mean, we've spoken about we Jamie with regards to the treatment of, of just about anything that you can't get in this country, particularly, and the cost is absolutely astronomical uh, for these types of things. So, all the very best to Stuart and his family because it was really sad, uh, hard hitting, and obviously, you know, you'll have teammates as well, JP, who are not old, who will be looking at that situation thinking boom, it's just horrendous, it really is. Mm -hmm. Um, I was talking, we've we've spoken about um, Dutch teams a few times today, but due to the fact that obviously we're playing Feyenoord and we've mentioned Ajax a few times as well. um, But I I read with interest, there was um, on Twitter actually, there was a report, um, I first seen it on, it was shared, I think by a Scottish journalist, but it was on the All About Ajax Twitter page, I'm still calling it Twitter, because I mean, what would I call it, X page? (laughs) Everybody knows what I'm talking about. It's Twitter. ESPN have agreed on a new TV deal with the Eredivisie, a five-year deal worth £135 million per year, plus a £70 million signing bonus. All KKD matches will also be broadcast live, as per Ajax's demands. Massive success for Ajax commercial director, Gilen, who was very involved. And you look at that deal, and you compare it to Scottish football, and and it's a conversation we have time and time again. Uh, Kevin Graham uh, spoke about it yesterday, in actual fact, talking about the way that you know you've outgrown the, you've outgrown the game, and that's not being elitist, that's not being big headed or any of these things, JP. It's just that we don't get the broadcasting deals that the game deserves. The game is not marketed or promoted the way it should be. We try to develop footballers by getting a young team into the pyramid system and they refuse to allow them to get promoted. Therefore, there's a knock-on because people will say, oh, they've no one in the league anyway. There's a knock-on because in terms of investment in in that particular team, you're not going to invest any more than you do. There's no push to get people to go to the games, for example, JP, because they're just lying stagnant in tier five of Scottish football. So Mm. um, it's yet another indication that Scottish football is standing still, whereas Celtic have hit the ceiling. They've hit the glass ceiling, haven't they?
1: Yeah, it does make you think that if they allowed just listening to you read out the numbers of that deal and everybody that's involved, and obviously that's not just been something that's come about overnight. It would be interesting if if the the governing bodies in Scotland allowed a panel of experts to come in and assess the whole situation. From from taking it from a neutral point of view, so there's nobody Scottish involved, it's just people at the top of their game are brought in and are given the Scottish football landscape and, and then are asked, what would you do? What, what, what would you be your 15, 20-year plan to, to, to develop this? And to, here's the situation. You've got um, two teams who are the most supported teams in Scotland, therefore they get the most uh, the biggest slice of the pie. And they've obviously got the biggest ability to attract uh, players. What would you do to, to to combat that and to try and to try and bridge the gap? It's not going to happen overnight, but it'd be interesting to know if there was. There's always experts in fields, isn't there? There's people that know exactly what to do in a in a in a problem solving scenario. So it would be interesting to know if somebody was presented with that problem, could they come up with a solution that. The Scottish Football Authorities would have to accept as being right. Well, that's what we should do, and not say no to something, and not um, delay something, and not put red tape in the way of something, and just basically go with it, and then see what happens. Because, like like you said yesterday, there's, there's there is there is a brick wall that we've hit here mm-hmm. in terms. Of, and, and I know you said we've completed football, completed Scottish football. There are times when you speak to supporters of other teams. I did as well. When we got knocked out of the League Cup of Colmarnock, there was a few people who messaged me and said, oh, well, about time you gave somebody else a chance to win that cup. And then you look back and you're like, yeah, we've won it like seven times or something in the last however many seasons. And and that's just supposed to be the, the token cup for other teams, so to speak. But yet yeah, we've been winning it every season because we've been winning trebles. Mm-hmm. So, that's the reality. That's not sort of being big-headed or anything like that as a, as a sort of...
0: It is the reality. It's a, yeah. five, five trebles in seven years, JP. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I mean... that, that over a period of seven years, it's not a flash in the pan. It's not a team that comes together and, and it's a one-off, which it had been previously. I mean, previous to that, Brendan Rodgers, uh, you know, normalising trebles. Previous to that, Martin O'Neill did it. Jockstein did it twice. That was it. You know, and and it's now a situation where, like you say, every single facet of the football club gets to a point where it can't get any bigger, it can't get any more successful because of the constraints that you you're operating within, which is Scottish football. I don't think it's been big-headed. There's plenty of people who would have the argument with us to say, no, we need to play in Scotland. That's our home. That we're a Scottish club with Irish roots. And I, I just think, well, if you want to be ambitious, if you want to. Push the envelope. If you actually want to market Celtic for what it is worldwide and really tap into that worldwide appeal of Celtic, then it can't be where we are. Studs Lanigan confirms yes, Castle Milk talking about Eddie and Frank Gray, two fantastic footballers. Um, I wonder if there was ever a moment where Celtic, you know, that you look at the footballers back in the day and you think, you know, was there an opportunity for Celtic to sign them? Jim McCallaghan, for example, who Spent his entire career, actually, maybe for a couple of years in America. Down in, down in England, he played with Chelsea, played with Man United. He scored against world champions England in that famous victory. Um, there was a moment that Sean Fallon came to his door and almost signed him, but I think he went into Leeds. I wonder if there was a moment with the, the two Grey Brothers. Uh, Castle Malk, uh, Franny McKeon, Hector Salamanca. Yes, that's the guy. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did as well. I'm going to have to watch it back. AJSC Tech, looking back, it was a 50-50 with Angie's recruitment. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when you're winning trebles and all that, JP, you're thinking about recruitment, you think, wow, it was brilliant. Just about everything he touched. He's got the Midas touch. But actually now you're looking at it and you're thinking there was plenty of guys that didn't come in and be a successful Celtic.
1: Yeah, no, and and you, you, it's there in glorious technical, or when you're looking at the the Champions League squad, as to how little uh, people have contributed and are still there. You know, we've managed to get quite a few of them out the door, but there's still people there that you know are on fairly decent wages. But I think you've got to give. I, I don't think you can be too harsh on Brendan Rodgers, given that he's only been here since June. I think he. He needs to be given, you know, a few transfer windows before yeah. you can really assess what he's what he's going to do with this, this Celtic side over the next, well, if we're to believe him three years.
0: Well, why wouldn't we believe him, J.P.? No, I'm I, not, I,
1: I'm <laughs> only saying that slightly facetiously because he was asked outright. If, it was. was it
0: three was. Uh, just occurred yeah. to me, though, right? I wonder if... Um, Football podcasts, let's say. This isn't really even a podcast, but anyway, this is a stream, but football shows from fans, alternative media from all over the world. I wonder if there are so many examples of police sirens going off in the background, JP, because every time you're on, it happens. Every time Colin Watt is on, there's a police siren kicking off in the background. Does it happen everywhere else in the European (laughs) European football Um, spectrum?
1: uh, Some of the stuff I've had to put up with in this this postcode uh, for... In the last well, certainly the last year or two. Um there's 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 <laughs> there's been police sirens quite close to home, put it that way. And nothing to do with me, I might add, but um uh, it's been a bit of a, an eventful building, shall we say. But um yeah, fortunately
0: I think that might have stopped now. Um hopefully anyway, touch touch wood. we yeah, were just going further a lunch break. It's always at lunch time. Right, here we go. D, oh, sorry, B, Segrist, real disappointment. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go back to what I said about Segrist. When we signed him, I had no complaints. I thought he was, within the realms of Scottish football anyway, a, a goalie that could have come in and done a, a, a job. It's no work to it. So, yeah, with hindsight, absolutely, it's easy to say he was a bad sign. Uh Brown Warrior, AJ, wasn't a big signing when he was signed, he was a player brought in to hopefully fill the void left like with Yeah, and he has done, isn't he? And he's become a real favourite as well amongst uh, many, many Celtic fans. Uh, absolutely, yeah, thoughts and prayers with Stuart his family at this time. Um, check out our socials where we've shared the link to his GoFundMe page. It was up there. It was right up there at 25 grand, there or thereabout. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty sure that he'll get a lot of support. Uh, why is this jersey behind me? I'm going to go through some of the jerseys that's coming in. We are doing a sell the jerseys initiative. It's for we Jamie Tierney. The link is underneath his video, and the generosity has blown me away. I'm going to have a different jersey up here, and as inspired by JP Mason um, every day that I'm on the show. So thanks everybody for getting involved, and uh, it's great to see the Celtic community coming together. I know sometimes it's kind of cliched and all that. It's a bit twee, all the Celtic family, but seriously, JP, when called upon, pull together and they make positive things happen. So thanks, Mm. everybody, for that. Thank you all for getting involved. Thousand strong on a Thursday afternoon. And thank you again to J.P. Mason for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind. Cheers, Paul. Plus Network.